Amen, amen. Well, happy Easter, everyone. The message of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead is a message of freedom. Now, some of you might be here today and be like, freedom? I mean, that's not really a, that's not really a church message. I mean, isn't church more into, like, a restriction and uh, limitations and uh, putting uh, boundaries and rules and rituals and regulations? Didn't Jesus kind of come to make sure no one was having too much fun? Didn't he just kind of uh, come to, to sort of limit our freedom? I mean, uh, uh, coming to church to, to, to learn about freedom, that's kind of like going to McDonald's but learning how to eat healthy. I mean, isn't that, that's not really the church's thing, is it? To, to, we, we, don't really have a, we don't have a corner on freedom, do we? Well, we do. Because Jesus came uh, to set us free. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He is a way maker. He is a, he is a chain breaker. And one of the problems is we, we have this sort of distorted understanding of what it means to be free. We live in a world that's sort of obsessed with this individualized expressivism, that, to think that, that freedom means somehow that, that I can now determine my own morality. That freedom means that no one's allowed to tell me what I should or shouldn't do. Lo- loved ones, that's, that's not freedom, that's chaos. Some of us think that, that freedom would be that I, I can establish my own identity, that I am the one who defines uh, who I am in every imaginable sphere of my life, or that I, I can determine my own reality, that I can define, that within me I can determine what is the meaning of life and why am I here. Some people understand that to be freedom. That's loved ones. None of those things are freedom. What we're going to see as we turn to God's word today, we're going to be turning in the book of Galatians, which is really a treatise, which is really a a declaration of the freedom that Jesus came to bring us. And so if you have a Bible with you, open it up to the book of Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. Our ushers are going to come up and down the aisle right now. They're just going to pass out copies of the Bible to anyone who wants one or wants to borrow one right now. Trust me, things are going to make a lot more sense if you follow along with me. And open it up to Galatians chapter 4 and find verse 4. Uh, Galatia was a province. Paul had visited a number of cities in this province, and uh, he had been hearing some things of what was happening in the brand new first century churches that were just started there. I mean, Jesus had only risen from the dead just a few decades earlier, and they were beginning to live not in the freedom that Jesus offers, but in bondage. And Paul was very concerned about them, so he penned this letter to these people who he cared about so much. And we'll pick it up in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. I'm going to pray right now, and maybe prayer isn't something that you have ever done in your life or haven't done for a long time. Prayer is simply talking to God, and I believe that God is real, and I believe that this book, this letter that we're going to read from the, uh, uh, from the Bible, the book of Galatians, was not merely written by Paul, but that God wrote this, this passage through the Holy Spirit and used Paul. And so in order for us to truly understand what this book says to us today, it's it's not up to me to be able to convince you or to teach you anything. In order to understand what God's word says, we need God's spirit 
to teach us. And so I'm going to ask him uh, to do just that uh, right now. So let's bow our heads uh, together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ the resurrected Savior of the world. And we pray, God, that you would send your Spirit who inspired these words that Paul wrote, that your Spirit would speak to us, Lord, deep into our heart, Lord. Speak to us about what it means to live in freedom. Speak to us, God. We want to hear from you. God, I pray right now that this messenger would, would fade very quickly into the background and that the message of freedom would be so real, would be so tangible, would be so readily available and applicable for everyone who can hear my voice right now, God. Only you can do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now today we're going to see from this passage uh, three different aspects of this freedom that Jesus came to give us. You can write down the first one in your notes there. It's going to, I'm going to show it up, up here on the screen as well. That in Jesus we find forgiveness. In Jesus we find forgiveness. We live in a world that says, I want to define my own morality. And as long as I'm not hurting anyone, no one should be telling me that I should do this or that I shouldn't do this. But, but the Bible tells us something very different, that there, there is a, a fixed moral code that God has in fact set into place. And what we need most is not the ability to determine our own morality. What we need more than anything else is to be forgiven for breaking God's perfect moral code. Verse 4 says, In the fullness, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Uh, this little paragraph that we're studying, notice how it begins with God. The message of the Bible begins with God. It doesn't begin with us trying to reach up to God. It doesn't begin with us trying to become better people. It doesn't begin with us trying to be more spiritual and reach up to the divine. No, the story starts with God. And it says there, God in the fullness of time. You see, God has a plan for this whole universe and sending his son came at just the right time. And not only does God have a macro plan for this universe, he also has a micro plan for each individual life in this room right now. And your presence in this room is not an accident. It is happening according to the fullness of time. God has, has orchestrated this event in eternity past for you to be sitting in that chair, singing these songs, sitting with the people that you're sitting with, hearing this message that is being spoken to you right now. In the fullness of time. Our God is the God of history. Uh, the, the, the Christian uh, message, the life of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we remember this weekend, they are all rooted and grounded in history. These are historical events with theological implications. That's something that's very rare as you consider the other world religions um, uh, that, that, that are available to us in our uh, society today. Christianity is rooted in history. If you disprove the history, you disprove Christianity. And 2,000 years later, after many attempts to try to disprove the history, Christianity is still here because it's grounded in history. This is a God who works in the fullness of time. And it says that he sent forth his son. His son, his name is Jesus. He's the reason why we're here today. Here's the reason why we celebrate this weekend. Jesus, have you heard of him? He's kind of a big deal. And he, is, he was sent. 
God didn't decide to create a son. No, you see, the son eternally pre-existed. He was always there, but God sent him on a rescue mission, sent him so that we could have freedom, sent him so that we could have a forgiveness. So he is the son of God. When Jesus came to this earth, he was God, but notice here it says that he was born of a woman. And so he was, he was God, but he came as a human being. Now, he wasn't part man, part God. He, I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize to all the Prius owners today, but he wasn't a hybrid, okay? It wasn't a, a little bit of God sprinkled with a little bit of humanity. No, it, he was fully God and fully human. And you say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense mathematically. I say, well, welcome to, welcome to theological study. There's a lot of things about God that we just simply cannot comprehend. How did Jesus Christ become become a a tiny little bean-sized and shaped life in the womb of his mother Mary? He was born of a woman. That's what we celebrate on the other major Christian holiday, Christmas. the, The miracle of Jesus coming as fully God and fully man. Then it says at the end of of verse 4 that he was born under the law, and then in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. So what Paul's getting at is that Jesus, he was just like us. He He was born of a woman, just like us. He was born under the law, just like us. What's the law referring to? Well, that's referring to God's law, that moral standard that the the Bible reveals. Its most condensed form appears in Exodus 20, the, the Ten Commandments. And, and it, it, it comes at us externally from the Ten Commandments, but God's law also comes at us internally through our own conscience. And, and if we're really honest with ourselves, if we let the ex- externality of God's law and the internality of our own conscience, when we line those two things up and we look at ourselves in the mirror, it's not a pretty picture. We have all broken God's law. And Jesus was just like us, born of a woman, just like us, born under the law. But here's the one difference. We've all broken the law, and Jesus didn't. The Ten Commandments talk about lying. The Ten Commandments talk about dishonoring your parents. The Ten Commandments talk about coveting, which is, which is obsessing or desiring something that someone else, has ha- someone else has. That could be a material possession. That could be sexual lust. Listen, Jesus was never guilty of any of those things. And we are guilty of many of those things time and time again. But he was born under the law. Notice the purpose why he came. To redeem those who were under the law. This is the, this is the message of freedom. That word redeem, that's an economic a term. It's a term used to describe that when a wealthy person sees someone who's uh, subjugated, who, who's living in slavery, uh, who, was, who was bought and sold as a slave, as a, a wealthy person pulls out their wallet and pays the redemption price, pays the fee necessary to set that slave free. And sometimes someone might redeem a slave and they would buy that person and they would become their slave. But that's, but that's not what's being described here. This is, this is being set free. We have, been, we, are, we have been redeemed or the offer of redemption is available to us that we don't need to live as slaves anymore. Jesus paid the price to set us free. And who, who 
were we enslaved to? Well, we're, it says here we're, we're under the law. We were enslaved to the law. And the price that needed to be paid in order for us to be set free for breaking the law was death. You see, God's the creator of life. And he's given us a conscience and he's given us his ten commandments. And when we turn away from the creator of life and go off on our own way, it only makes sense logically that when we cut ourselves off from the creator of life, that the consequence is death. And so looming over all of our heads is the sentence, is the death penalty that awaits all of us. And uh, physical death is part of that. I'm not sure if you've checked the latest statistics for the mortality rate, but right now it's at 100%. It's going to come to all of us. And, and, but that's merely a symptom. Physical death is simply a symptom of a death that's far deeper, a spiritual death, a death that many of us are living and experiencing right now because our relationship with God has been fractured. But a spiritual death that will be even more significant after this physical death, when there's two paths, heaven and hell. And Jesus came to pay the redemption price. He came under the law to redeem those who were under the law. He came and fully obeyed the law. And not only did he obey, but he offered. He offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin, all of our sinful actions, all of our sinful words, all of our sinful thoughts, all of the things we should have done or said that we didn't, our sins of omission, our sins of commission. All of us are under that death penalty for sin, but Jesus paid the price. If you look over one column in your Bible to chapter 3, verse 13, it gives more detail about the uh, redemption that Christ gives us. It says, Christ redeemed us. There's that word again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What's being described there is that Jesus took the curse, the penalty, the punishment that all of us deserve, and he took it on himself. That when Jesus hung and bled and died on the cross, it was though he was hanging there and dying as though he had lived Ted Duncan's entire life. All of Ted Duncan's bad choices, all of Ted Duncan's evil deeds, all of Ted Duncan's evil thoughts, all of the good things Ted Duncan should have done, all of those things. Jesus was personally identifying with all of my evil and taking the blame, taking the punishment, taking the curse in order to redeem me, in order to set me free. There was a substitution of his holiness for my sinfulness, his obedience for my rebellion, his love for my hate, his humility for my pride, his peace for my turmoil, his perfection for my imperfection. And loved ones, I'm here today to tell you it wasn't just for me. I have experienced it personally. I want you to experience it personally as well. Jesus stood in my place. Jesus stood in your place. Jesus stood in our place to offer us forgiveness so that we could be redeemed. You see, we aren't free to determine our own morality. If we were truly free to determine our own morality, the champions of this kind of thinking wouldn't be forcing the rest of the culture to accept them. If it didn't matter what other people thought about us, then why would there be all of this emphasis on you need to agree with me, you need to approve of what I'm doing and what I believe? 
That just simply doesn't line up. At, at, at the core of it, what is it, is, is that, that idea of curse. That we all know that something isn't right. And, and, and we feel judged. And that's why we think, why well, should I determine my own reality? Stop judging me. We're so sensitive to judgment because God's judgment is so real. We try to blame other people. We try to blame society. We try to blame... Listen, at the end of it, it's our conscience that is troubled. And so the greatest need for all of humanity is forgiveness. And that's part of the freedom that Jesus offers us. We've all done wrong, but Jesus has redeemed us. He has paid the price. But why would God want to forgive us? What motivated him? If he's the judge of the whole world, if he's laid out all of these moral standards in his Ten Commandments, if he's given us this conscience, what motivated him to to set us free? Well, the rest of verse 5 goes on. We'll pick it up. It says, uh, to to redeem those who are under the law, here's the explanation, so that, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, God wants us to be in his family. God wants us to be his sons and his daughters. So in Jesus, we find forgiveness. Secondly, in Jesus, we find family. God wants to relate to us as father. And yes, it's true in one sense, God is the father from whom every family in heaven derives its name. God is, we are all his children. But God wants to draw us even closer to him. He doesn't want us to be living as children who are rebelling against the family rules and, and, and not living in a right relationship with him. No, he wants to draw us close to relate to him as a father relates to his son or as daughters. You see, freedom is not found, as so many uh, believe, freedom is not found in defining our own identity. This is who I am on the inside, and I've got to figure out uh, who I truly am. There is a sense in which every single human being on planet Earth does suffer from some sort of identity crisis, and I'm not sure if you've noticed, I mean, spend 30 seconds on social media, and you'll find that our whole world is trying to define their own personal identity. You see, the essence of sin is simply trying to determine and find our identity apart from God. Rather than saying, God, I'm going to follow your ways, I'm going to live in relationship with you, I'm going off on my own, I'm going to determine my own identity. That's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, that's what we have been doing ever since. See, there's been a breakdown in our relationship with God which leaves an emptiness inside of each and every one of us. There's this adolescent angst in that we want to do things our way, and we try to fill that void because we're meant to be in relationship with God. There's this emptiness inside, so we're trying to fill it with possessions. We're trying to fill it with prestige. We're trying to fill it with power. We're trying to fill it with pleasure, just anything to numb that sense of emptiness that all of us feel. But God wants to bring us close. He wants us to be part of a family. I know, especially as a, as a teenager and definitely at other times in my life, so many of my bad choices were made just because I wanted to fit in somewhere. I was just longing for some sort of acceptance. And isn't that true of you? 
Haven't most of the bad choices you made, young or old, have been because you were just trying to be included? You were just trying to be accepted? Well, if I, if I do this, then maybe people will like me. Maybe they will welcome me. See, that's, that, that's sin. God says you don't have to try to be someone else. You don't have to, have to try to run away from me to find your identity. God says turn around and run to me. What we need is to accept the forgiveness that God offers to us today. The freedom comes from being loved and accepted and affirmed by God and by God alone. That makes all of the difference. God wants us to be part of his family. If you go on in verse at verse, in verse 6 it says, And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Uh, do you see the, the trinity there? All three members of the trinity are mentioned. The son, the spirit, and the father. God sent the son in verse 4, and now in verse 6, the same verb, God sends the spirit. And where does he send the spirit? He sends it into our hearts and he when you place your faith in Jesus Christ when you look to the cross and you believe that he suffered and died for you and your sin when you believe that and admit that and recognize that God instantaneously sends his spirit into your heart and then the spirit is trying to get you to say something he's trying to get you to say Abba now, this is not a, a request to hear a song from a mid-70s Swedish disco pop band. This is actually an, an Aramaic term of endearment. Not as formal as father, not as sappy as daddy, something that would be appropriate for a, a little child and a grown man to affectionately refer to his Father. Now, there's no word in English that's a parallel to that. Apparently, there was no word in Greek to parallel to that. So here's Paul writing in Greek to the Galatians, and he has to insert an Aramaic word in order for them to understand the concept. God wants to live in a loving Abba Father relationship with us. See, here's the amazing thing. When we look at the cross... And when we look at what happened on Easter weekend, first of all, we look at the cross and we say, I am so messed up. When I look at what Jesus went through, me, went, went through for me and how he suffered and died, I'm so messed up. Everyone say that. I'm so messed up. But here's the other thing. Here's, here's something that's even more fun to say. Because when we look to the cross, not only do we say, I'm so messed up, we look to the cross and we say, I am so loved. Everyone say that. I am so loved. And that's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of the Christian life. Is because we have this, we walk with a limp. We have this sense of humility, of we're nothing, of we're broken. And, and, but we don't allow that to destroy us or defeat us or to lead us to despair. We look to the cross and we see our sinfulness and our brokenness and our wickedness and our evil. But then we also look to the cross and we see how greatly we're loved by our Father. And so we do walk with a limp, but we still walk. And we walk with confidence and with courage and with love for God and with an understanding of this is who I am. And God loves me just who I am, but he loves me too much to keep me that way. And so we understand that just as our parents, although our parents are so often imperfect, just as though their desire is to have their children 
accomplish what they were intended to accomplish and live life to the fullest. That's the heart of God the Father towards us. But we will never, never even start to live out our potential until our sin is dealt with, until we've received forgiveness, until we've been welcomed into his family, knowing that we're loved by this amazing God. He loves me. We don't need to be looking into ourselves for our identity. We don't need to be looking for those around us or our culture to define our identity. We need to be looking to God, our Father, and recognize that I am a son or that I am a daughter of God. Our identity comes from being loved by him. And then Paul sums up in verse 7, he says, So you are no longer a slave. So you are no longer a slave. A slave. So in Jesus we find forgiveness, we find family, and ultimately in Jesus we find freedom. We are no longer slaves. Uh, do you feel enslaved today? Maybe it's some sort of uh, addiction. Maybe there's some sort of a substance that started out for you, uh, there was medicinal purposes. Or maybe it started out for you, there was a recreational uh, uh, a motivation behind it. And what started as something fun, has now you've become completely dependent upon it. Maybe it's some sort of a sexual addiction or a way of thinking. Maybe it's pornography and it started to be fun, it started to be pleasurable, and then it's completely taken over your entire life. And it's a master over you. Paul says here that in Jesus Christ you can have freedom from those things. Maybe you feel enslaved to your work. Maybe you've done a good job in the past or you got good grades or you earned that promotion and now you're so afraid of not being up to that level of performance that it controls you. You obsess over your job and you're neglecting all of these other people who love you and important things in your life and it's starting to cause to deteriorate your, 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 your soul from the inside out. Are you enslaved to your job? Are you enslaved to a relationship? Is there someone who just has this unhealthy, toxic power over you? You can't confront them. You, you, you're always on eggshells around them. Listen, that is slavery. God does not want you to be living like that. Maybe you're enslaved to anxiety and to worry and to fear. And maybe just making those small decisions of head up off of pillow. And, and turn on water for a shower. And, and you, you show up to work and you sit in the parking lot and take a deep breath. And just contemplate putting one foot in front of the other. Because you feel so gripped by worry or anxiety. Maybe... Maybe it's anger. Maybe things just go along just fine. And then you get a little bit tired or a little bit irritable and something happens. And then you just have these outbursts of rage that just seem to come from nowhere. And you're no longer in control. You are a slave to that. Maybe you've never had an angry outburst in your entire life, but you're just as angry. Maybe there's this smoldering resentment and teeth-gritting bitterness in your 
heart that is, that is like a backpack full of bricks that you are carrying around with. You are enslaved to those things. We're funny creatures, human beings. We, we, were, we go after voluntary slavery. A time and time again, we find these different things that, that so often we expect them to bring us freedom, but in fact, they bring us the opposite. But Jesus has come to set us free. He says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's kind of it's interesting when you think about being an heir or thinking about an inheritance. An inheritance is normally something someone else gets when you die. But when you're a Christian, there's an inheritance that someone else gets when you die, but there's also an inheritance that you get when you die. And the reason why you get that inheritance when you die is because Jesus died and you get his inheritance. Because the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and why it brings so much freedom is because as true as it is that when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, that it was as though he lived my sinful life and took the blame and the punishment that I deserve. Just as real as that truth is the truth that when God looks at me, he looks at me as though I lived Jesus' 33 years of sinless perfection. We live in this world where we think we can, we're, we're free to determine our own morality. We can determine our own meaning of life. And we so confidently say, you know, I believe, you know, good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And the, but the thing that I always find confusing about that statement is where's the line between the good people and the bad people? Like we all agree that like Pol Pot and Hitler, like they're, they're the bad people. But how bad do you have to be before you cross the line and so that you're right? And how close are you to that line? You see, we, we can't just make up our own Reality. There is a life after this life, and there is a death after this death. And you will either receive an inheritance or you will not. You see, the truth is, yeah, good people do go to heaven and bad people do go to hell. But we're all born under the law, and only one person born under the law ever fully obeyed it. So there's only one good person. And Jesus has said, I am, I am the good person, and I am going to heaven. And I am offering you freedom. I am offering the opportunity for you to come with me, to go there. But what you have to do is you have to hold on to me. You have to believe in me. You have to be found in me. You have to identify yourself with me. And because of that, listen, we don't deserve to go to heaven, but Jesus does. And if we're with Jesus, we get what Jesus gets. We don't deserve eternal life, but Jesus deserves eternal life. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the free gift, the free offer of loving him and living for him now in this life and for all of eternity. And so I want to ask us to bow our heads right now and we're going to pray together. And we're going to pray that God would unlock some chains tonight and that he would uh, break some uh, walls that have been built around our hearts. And if God has been speaking you, to you today at all, I just want to invite you to, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. You can follow along with me if you want or you can, uh, you can simply just pray it in your own words or quietly pray to God. 
uh, yourself right where you are. And the prayer is going to go something like this. It's going to follow this general flow. It's going it's to follow admitting to God that you're a sinner and that you've broken his law, that you've violated your own conscience. It's going to talk about believing that Jesus suffered and died for you and committing to hold on to him, to believe in him so that you can live a life of freedom. And so let's bow our heads and let's pray together. God, I admit to you today that I am a sinner. I confess that I have said things and done things and thought things that are against your law. And God, I believe tonight that Jesus came as my substitute. I believe tonight that he suffered and died to take the penalty, to take the curse that was over me because I was under the law. And Jesus, I want to hold on to you. I want to be part of your family. And so I invite you into my life and I receive the invitation to become part of your family. And God, I want to pray for those people who have made that decision today. God, I pray that they would feel the sense, Lord, as you have promised, that your spirit will come into us, cause us to cry out, Abba, Father, that we would have this sense that we belong to you, that you are with us, and that you are for us. And so, God, I pray for those who prayed that prayer and are believing that for the first time tonight. I pray for those of us who have made that decision, Lord, maybe a year ago, maybe a decade ago. I pray that we would receive it and believe it and accept it and rejoice in it afresh. God, that we would stand amazed that you would love us and that you would, that you would save us. That we would stand in awe of this amazing grace that we would worship you for your unfailing love, that you chose to stand in our place and chose to bear our cross so that we could be free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to invite you to stand with us as we sing. This is amazing.